Good deal. It's really good to be with you uh, this morning. I was just sitting there thinking, um, as we talk about battle this morning, there, there, there aren't many places and people that I'd rather do battle with in this life than the people sitting in this room. And I'm looking forward to continuing to getting to know all of you as we think about living life together and as we live life together for the glory of God to see the light of the gospel shine in Kansas City and then extend from what the Lord does here at this place to, to the rest of the earth. I want to talk to you this morning uh, briefly from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about cutting off access. Cutting off access. And the reason we talk about this is because, guys, this isn't optional. This is something that is necessary. This is something that's necessary, not, not just as men, but particularly in the, in the culture in which you and I live in, it's very sensual. This is something that's absolutely necessary. You think about the, the hours that we spend in preparation for things like athletics. Because we want to perfect something in particular so that we can be good at it to, st- to tell stories and to have trophies that collect dust. When we talk about how we live life, It's necessary the ways in which we operate that we practice putting to death the things that are evil in us. Jesus addresses this specifically here in Matthew chapter 5. We're dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a really critical passage. This is the the, the welcome to the world for Jesus' ministry as he opens up and begins to describe what, what true life is like in God. You see, part of what had been happening is the Pharisees had been painting a picture of who God was supposed to be. And it was a faulty picture. And this is what what Jesus was so vehement about in several places in Scripture, where he's throwing tables and he's calling people brood of vipers. Jesus took issue with the way in which they were reflecting the character and the nature of God because they were reflecting a false picture, a false image of God. And Jesus takes issue with that. And the place that he starts is he wants to describe what it means to live a life that's blessed. This is very similar to the story that God had been telling in the Old Testament. If you think about Joshua, where God calls him to be strong and courageous, and the way he tells him to do that is to meditate on this book of the law day and night. It's the way in which the psalmist begins in Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night, and he will produce fruit. This is the goal for us who live and want to walk faithfully with God. This is the place that Jesus begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he continues on to describe what it means to be blessed truly in the sight of God. Not outward righteousness, but an inward disposition that produces a certain type of deed that reflects the character and the nature of the one true God. And so Jesus goes on in his sermon, and as he begins to describe particular things built upon this foundation of what it means to be blessed, he starts taking issue with some of the things that the Pharisees had been doing. And this is the way he, he, he titles this, or he, he phrases this, you have heard it said but I say to you. You see, Jesus is taking issue with the ways in which they were teaching about this God that 
that they said they served. Here he, in Matthew 5, 27, he's taking particular issue. This is what he says, verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her heart has already committed adultery with her in her heart, in his heart. If, you, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What's Jesus taking issue with? No one disagrees with the first statement that we ought not to commit adultery. That made the top 10, right? Not, not to commit adultery, we know that. But what were the Pharisees doing that Jesus is taking issue with? What they were doing was they were shrinking the idea of sexual immorality to deeds of the body, something that you do outwardly. And so they paraded around in expanding sexual purity to say it's really anything that doesn't cross this line. Don't we think about that in relation to sexuality? Is how far can I go to indulge in the flesh and still be okay, Lord? And Jesus is saying that's the wrong question. Jesus is helping us to see it's not about that line of the things we do in the deed. And listen, Jesus always does this. He talks lots about deeds, things we should and shouldn't do, but he's always connecting it to where things come from. The way the Bible describes it in Proverbs 4 is this comes from the fountain of the inner man, the heart. And Jesus makes that connection here. And he's saying, don't limit the way you describe sexual immorality. Don't we have a tendency to do that? Well, I'm not committing fornication. I mean, we didn't go, we didn't go that far. I didn't click on that link. I just looked at these things. I didn't go to that type of movie or I didn't click on this pornographic site, but I, I enjoy going to these types of movies that reveal these types of things. You see, what we're doing is we're, we're limiting what God describes as being sexually immoral. And we're expanding what we think is sexual purity. And what Jesus is helping us to see here is we have to have clarity in how we understand, yes, the deeds of the body. But those deeds of the body come from somewhere. And the deception of the evil one constantly is to begin with the way that you look at things with your eyes and the way that you delight in them in your heart. And then much later, as deception often happens, you find yourself in a trap and out come things that you never thought you would do. And this is exactly what Jesus is helping us to understand here. We have heard it said, but he says to us, how do you limit the commands of God. How, how do you limit sexual immorality? You should be thinking about particular things even now. Do you make it your aim when you wake up to, to get as much as you can out of life, to tow whatever line you think it is to get the goody out of life? Or do you wake up thinking, God, how can I stay far away from the things that you've warned me about that I know will destroy me so that I can glorify you with my life? You see, those are two different approaches to life. And here, Jesus, I think, is trying to help us to say, don't just limit the way you think about sexual immorality because you don't do certain things. 
Make sure that you pay attention with how you look at life and how you see things and the ways in which you approach particular things. So let's look at the text. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But we all understand. And listen, Jesus is not limiting here. He's using this as an example. He's not saying adultery is the only issue that, that flourishes with lust. He's just using it as an example. One of the ways in which uh, the Pharisees would, would utilize and limit sexual immorality. What Jesus does here is he expands this divine prohibition. He expands it into places that, honestly, in our flesh, we would prefer he not go. But he's helping us to understand how life works and the ways in which we find ourselves in places that we will fornicate or that we will commit adultery. Jesus is saying, listen, that engine got started a long time ago. And it gets started by the ways in which you look at things and dwell on those things and desire those things in the inner man long before anybody else can see what's happening or warn you about what's coming. So Jesus continues on. One of the ways that I would describe this is every sexual practice that is immoral indeed is immoral also in the ways in which you look at them and the ways in which you think about them. Everything that you would consider to be sexually immoral outwardly is also sexually immoral by the ways in which you look at them or think about them. This is the same as the way sin started from the very beginning. That when Eve was gazing at the fruit, the first thing was that it was a delight to her eyes. We've not gotten more sophisticated than that. We still look with delight in our eyes and we begin to desire in the heart. And what Jesus is saying is long before you commit adultery physically, long before you fornicate physically, long before you masturbate physically, there's desire that's brewing in your heart. And where does that responsibility lie? In you. That we're the ones who are choosing to sin in those moments. You think about the way in which Job reminds us as he's trying to defend himself, he says he made a covenant with his eyes. Part of what Jesus is helping us to see here is he's expanding our understanding of sexual immorality. He's helping us to see the ways in which we fall into these pits. But then he goes on in verse 29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I don't know about you, but as I think about that phrase, um, we would none know what each other looks like if we took this passage explicitly literal, right? Because all of us stumble in many ways, and we know the place in which that starts, Jesus here, this is a, a very common way that Jesus, a very common metaphor that he used. He used it here specifically talking about lust. He used it in other places in the gospel, in the gospel of Matthew as well, Matthew 18, where he talks about temptation in general. So what he's helping us to understand is this is the, this is the way in which sin uh, originates, is by the way in which we interpret data that we see with our natural eye and we begin to dwell on it in our hearts. And so he's giving us an example. So what's he saying? 
If there's something that you're delighting in, in the way that you look at it and you lust after it, which I would say is a breach of the 10th commandment, the things that you covet, that you want, that's not yours, that when we begin to look at those things and desire those things, Jesus is telling us the idea of cut off your ability to look at it. You cut off access to that particular thing. And then he goes on and he says, if your right hand makes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it. Uh, far from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And Jesus uses these phrases where he talks about the issues of our eyes, the ways that we see, the issue of our hands, the things that we do, and our feet in other places in Matthew 18 where we cut off the things that we do. I think what he's helping us to do with this metaphor is to cut off access to the things in which lead us into temptation. There are two primary ways that we fight sin. I'm going to talk about one a little bit later when we talk about thought life. But there are two primary ways that we fight sin. The first one, the Bible tells us to flee from it. This is really the primary meaning here, is to cut off your access in the things that you look at when you know that they drive you to a place of deeds of the flesh. That when we dwell on things in the flesh, we delight in things in the flesh, in our inner man, it will always produce the fruit of the flesh outwardly. And so Jesus is trying to help us to understand that here. This, this metaphor is, is not calling for physical mutilation of your body parts. I think this metaphor is calling for mortification of the sin in your life. Think about it in the way Paul described this in Romans 8, 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Jesus is simply saying the only surefire way that you keep yourself from sexual immorality is you cut off access and mortify the passions and the desires and the lusts that originates with the ways that you see, the things that you see, the places that you go, and the things that you do with your hands. And so we have to understand Jesus is helping us to, to see the origination of sin and the process of sin and the deeds, the fruits that it produces. What Christ means here is to reject sinful practices so resolutely that we die to them or that we put them to death. So I want to ask you the question in the way in which Jesus gives us the metaphor. First thing is, where do you look? Where do you give your eyes permission to wander? Do you cut off access by making a covenant with your eyes in the things that you look at? If you remember a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school, I was talking about this issue of sexual immorality. And one of the things that I made clear, and I, I hold to this strongly from Scripture even, that the things that we lust after don't always have to be sexual in order for us to produce sexual immorality as a product of the flesh. So when you pay attention to things that you look at and lust after, you are feeding the flesh. So when the flesh is tempted by things that are sexual, you will fall sexually. You will fulfill those desires in a sexual nature. And so what are the things that you give yourself permission to look at? What Jesus is saying is cut it off. Understand, have humility to say, I'm not spiritually mature to look at that. My eyes ought not to gaze upon that. Or even if I am spiritually mature, nobody's eyes should be looking at those things. 
Cut the access off. Why? Because if you can cut the access off, what you're doing is you're removing Satan's ability to tempt you. Remember, he cannot make you sin, but he lures and entices by your own desire. And if you are cutting off off access to fuel and feed that desire, you have a leg up in the war. Because what you're doing is you are cutting off the ammunition that he uses within you to deceive you when you cut off the desire within you. The second thing, think about the things that you do. The things that you do consistently with your hands, where you go. What are the places you give yourself permission to go? The people that you hang around. 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good morals. Where are the places that you go? Cut off access. I remember dealing with a guy one time where he was, he was committing adultery. And the process that led him to commit adultery was long before that in, his, in the way in which he drove to work. It started off with him looking at a billboard. And he would lust and that would happen over months time. And then it continued in a process of there was a particular place that he would stop where he would get more than a massage. And he continued to go that way in order to fulfill that lustful desire. And then before you know it, he's committing adultery against his wife. And this was a process that happened over six months. But how did it start? It wasn't worth it to him to take three extra minutes to go a different route. Cut off access to the things that arouse your flesh. Be warned. This is what it means to be wise. Is that the things that you dwell on in your thinking, that you know what they produce in the future, you can see where they lead. And so you cut off access now. You take the thought captives, as we'll talk about this afternoon, now. And then the third thing, not just the, where you look, not just the, uh, the things that you do, but the, even the places that you go. If your eye causes you to sin, don't look at it. If your foot causes you to sin, don't go there. If your hand causes you to sin, don't do those things. Cut off the access and therefore cutting off the fueling of your desire, which is at war within you. John Stott says it like this. If your eye causes you to sin, don't look. If your foot causes you to sin, don't go. And if your hand causes you to sin, don't do it. Thus, I'll finish with this. From the great Puritan, John Owen. Thus, it is the constant duty of believers to render a death blow to the deeds of the flesh. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? You must always be at it while you live And do not take a day off from this. Always be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. The call from the scripture is that we cut off access to the things that arouse our desires. And the way they enter the body is through the eyes, and the places that we go, and the things that we do with our hands. And what Christ is calling us to is to expand the opportunities of sexual immorality, 
the things that we need to cut ourselves off from because this is how we walk. This is how we've learned Christ and see, see the favor that he's doing for us. He's calling us to walk with him, to cut ourselves off from that which wars within us so that we're not deceived, so that we don't fall into sin which causes death and destruction in life and in relationships. It's worth it every single day that you practice mortifying the flesh. And if we can practice to be good at swings, we can practice to keep our heart pure before the Lord. Mortify sin or it will be killing you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would take this word and plant it into our hearts so that, Lord, we would walk faithfully with you, that you would rescue us from this domain of darkness. You would over, overcome our desires and passions, that we would love the things you love, hate the things that you hate. God, that you would demonstrate the power of your spirit and the beauty of your word that frees us from the power of sin and that we would be sanctified, Father, and keeping us from sexual immorality that's so prevalent around us and even the desires that are at war within us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.